on inflation, um, can you give us a timeline? You've laid out eloquently what the president's been doing. Is there a timeline for when Americans can start feeling some economic pain relief? So in regards to the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, early next year, they will see uh, some of the, um, uh, some of the uh, uh, pieces of that. When you th think about an energy cost, when you think about um, uh, uh, the uh, Medicare kind of benefits from that. So we'll see uh, some movement on that early next year. But when we talk about inflation, gas prices, that's been something that the American people uh, have seen for the past several months, several weeks, and has, as cost has been coming down. 
down. Uh, and the hearing aids uh, that I just laid out, that's something that uh, once I have a clearer timeline we'll, that Americans are going to see that I'll share with you uh, on all of that. But so He said he's been working on the economy every day for 19 months. Now Bloomberg economists are forecasting a 100% chance of a recession. So how is it that we can be barreling towards a recession uh, and the economy is, as the president says, strong as hell. So here's the thing about the economy, and I've said this many times. You've heard this from Secretary Yellen. You've heard this from Brian Deese, who runs our economic council, is that what we are seeing right now is the job market is strong. The labor force is strong. And that is not what we see usually before uh, before a recession, and so the and a lot of that is because of the work that this president has done. We we are seeing an, an economy that is resilient. Uh, we are seeing an economy uh, that is going through to into a transition uh, with more stable growth, more st steady growth, and that is because of the work that this president has done. That is because of the economic policy that he has put forward. And let me remind you the economic policy that he's put forward is about building the economy from the bottom to, to uh, from the bottom to the top and the middle out and that is so important because it means that we leave no one behind it means that there's equity at everything that he uh, puts forward and so again you're going to hear from the president about gas prices that's again trying to make sure that we continue to keep prices low for the american people that's not all i've warned about how this decision risks the broader right to privacy for everyone there's a thing called the Ninth Amendment that says there's a right to privacy. That's how it was interpreted back then. And I'm asking you, and by the way, it's not just affecting your gener young generation. It's affecting children, moms, grandmoms, grandpops, all the entire generations. two days away from uh, the most consequential election uh, in our history, in my view, in recent history, at least. Elections where the choice and the stakes are crystal clear, especially when it comes to the right to choose. And on January 22nd, 1973, I hate to admit this, but I was a freshman, 30-year-old freshman United States Senator, and the Supreme Court issued its opinion in Roe v. Wade, establishing a fundamental constitutional right to choose. Nearly 50 years later, <clears throat> on June 24th of this year, the court issued the Dobbs decision. A woman in all, all across the country, starting in my house, uh, lost a fundamental right. I want to remind us all how we felt that day when 50 years of constitutional precedent was overturned. I'm going to use this mic if it's okay. The anger, 
the worry, the disbelief, the unbelievable fact that for the first time in our history, the Supreme Court didn't just fail to preserve a constitutional freedom, it actually took away the right that was so fundamental to Americans. It took away a right. And the fear that now uh, that most personal decisions may not only be made by the woman and her doctor, but by politicians to make that decision. The Dobbs decision, the court uh, practically dares women to go ahead and lead and be heard. One of the most extraordinary parts of that decision, in my view, was when the majority wrote, quote, women are not without electoral, are, are not, excuse me, are not without electoral or political power. Let me tell you something. <laughs> the court and the extreme Republicans who've spent decades trying to overturn Roe are about to find out. <laughs> As they say in one of the times we go, they ain't seen nothing yet. Just take a look at what happened in Kansas. And come this November, we're going to see what happens all over America, God willing. I drove through downtown L.A. today, and what I saw shocked me to the core. L.A. is a sunken place. There were stray dogs everywhere roaming the streets. There was burned down, destroyed businesses on every corner. And there were city parks that were overtaken by homeless encampments. But what really shocked the soul was seeing the human suffering. People digging through garbage in the street, living in complete squalor. Third world dehumanizing conditions you've never seen in America. Hey, but at least this guy's wearing a mask, right? Yeah. This is a video I took just driving down a random street in downtown LA. This is how people live in the city of angels. This is the end result of policies that break people, dehumanize people, and destroy people. So, the question needs to be asked, who's to blame for all this? Who caused this? Well, Los Angeles has been a single party run state for the last 70 years. Democrat policies that masquerade as human rights policies are actually cruel. They trod and destroy and erode the economic stability of a place and bring it to its natural conclusion, which is a third world style totalitarian Marxism where the average man or woman gets treated like garbage, gets treated worse than an animal. And the elite at the top in their mansions surrounding Los Angeles inside of gated communities guarded by men with guns, they don't ever get to see the real results of their policies. So that's why I filmed this video, so that everyone can see what's actually happening in Los Angeles, what the real world consequences and results are for horrendous 
So can the city of angels be saved? Based on what I saw, it'll take a miracle. Are, are there any races that you're looking at that aren't getting a lot of press that you believe deserve more attention, either House, Senate, Governor? Well, I, I, I think that what we need to pay attention to more than, than even those are the Secretary of State contests going on okay. in states like Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, Georgia. The reality of this election is that 60% of Americans will have an election denier on their ballot. We cannot allow our election system and the people who oversee and administer and control our elections to fall into the hands of the people who support the people that marched on our Capitol on January 6th. That's why when I say democracy is on the ballot in 2024, I really mean that because imagine what 2024 will be like if the people that are running our elections believe in the big lie, are willing to cast aside and stop counting votes so that their anointed one, Donald Trump, could just be declared the winner before we even finish the process. That's really what we're up against. And in most states, the Secretary of State is the one that controls how elections are administered. And when you think about the key states that will be swing states in 2024, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, yeah. et cetera, we need to make sure that competent, 
professionals committed to democracy are in charge of those elections. Their plan yeah. is to install these election deniers into office so that no matter what the voters, the will of the voters is, they will try to install their Republican winner no matter what, which will set off a constitutional crisis, the election which we've never seen, which will further undermine the American people's trust in our electoral process. And that right there is pretty much the end. Uh, you know, it's, you know, we cannot allow that to happen. And the only thing standing in the way of that outcome is this midterm election. Like this, this is yep. this really is our last stand, and, and I don't think most people really look at it from that vantage point. But it's just the truth. Republicans showed on the eve of January sixth, 147 of them went right back into that very chamber that was ransacked by these domestic terrorists and voted to oppose certifying a free and fair election. That's what we're up against, and that's what we have to defeat. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It's the 19th of October, year of our Lord, 2022, episode 633. Great little intro there. We got a little dash of him with his ice cream cone craziness. Shit pouring out of his mouth that makes no sense. Press sec, making no sense. That is a four-minute video of driving in downtown Los Angeles. That's how bad that place has gotten. That's a firefight on our border, and Pod Save America is the general theme we're getting from all liberals in reference to if we don't win in the midterm, we will lose democracy. Well, doesn't look like you're going to win in the midterm. Looking at the latest polls that have come down, Republicans winning 34% of Hispanics, 18% of blacks, plus 10 with independents. And that pretty much game over. For liberals to win, they cannot allow 34% of Latinos and 80% of blacks. They get 100% of blacks or 99%. So that's, that's, that's bad. And then you go to the other inlay, and and really, what this election is all about, and they don't want to face it. They're not even on the board with what people care about. Being that they're the party that had Carville with it's the economy, stupid. You think they do it, but inflation, economy, immigration, crime, women's rights is up there, healthcare, guns, environment. Climate change is 14% because this is a weighted poll. But most of the stuff, abortion, where does abortion fall on this? Well, they're, they're flipping it under women's right at 17% of the electorate. But the reality is, is, is the submerged voter, the people that don't do your polls, the people that don't listen to CNN, they're having a say this election more than any other election. And this is CNN, boys and girls, CNN. They're starting to turn. It's true, he's never there. He calls a lid at two o'clock every day. And they're starting to notice. 
And Americans definitely notice when economy is garbage. And, you know, I listened to Mike Rowe today, and it was a scary thing because it was a self-reflection of myself, being that I'm sick and unemployed. Four out of five males, 25 to 54, no longer work. So when they're talking about unemployment, they're saying, oh, the unemployment's 3%. Unemployment's based on who's applying for unemployment. That's all that number is. And being that most people have ran out of employment coverage through this pandemic, yeah, not too good. It's not too good at all. There's a lot of people not working. And they say there's a lot of jobs, but people aren't hiring. You know, I've applied for some jobs now that I'm feeling a little better. But most people are seeing my age and that's it. They're not even calling me, even though I'm overqualified for the job. The economy's garbage. Everybody knows it. And they just keep doing policies that are going to make it worse. Their green energy alone is destroying this country. Because everything is dictated on transportation costs. So everything's going up. It's, it's, it's a sticky wicket. So they brought out Obama this week. And, you know, the media love them some Obama. So I'm going to play the soundbite. But I'm going to play before it what he's really known for. Democrats are turning to former President Obama for help ahead of key midterm races. He's gearing up to hit battleground states, but he's also sending a warning to members of his own party. Stop being a, quote, buzzkill if you want to win in November. How does politics even, how is it even relevant to, uh, you know, the things that I, I care most deeply about? My family, my kids, you know, work that gives me satisfaction. Uh, you know, having fun, you know, not, you know, not, not being a buzzkill, right? Uh, <laughs> that's you know, a, that's so, a lesson for the Democratic yeah, yeah, and, and sometimes Democrats are, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, sometimes people just want to not feel as if uh, they are walking on eggshells. Uh, and, and, and they want some acknowledgement that life is messy and that all of us at any given moment uh, can... You know, uh, say things the wrong way, you know, make mistakes. I mean, People have been beaten down so long, and they feel so betrayed by government. It's not surprising them that they get better and they cling to guns or religion or uh, antipathy towards people who aren't like them. Or, and a way to explain their frustrations. No laughing matter for Missouri State Fair organizers after a rodeo clown donned a President Obama mask, leaving many seeing red. Perry Beam, an attendee at the fair, posted a photo of the fair performer on Facebook, which was picked up by the blog Show Me Progress and quickly spread around the web. Quote, the announcer wanted to know if anyone would like to see Obama run down by a bull, read Beam's account. The crowd went wild. Missouri State Fair organizers apologized for the stunt, saying, quote, the performance by one of the rodeo clowns at Saturday's event was inappropriate and disrespectful. Missouri Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder criticized the action on Twitter. 
quote, The Missouri State Fair celebrates Missouri and our people. I condemn the actions disrespectful to POTUS the other night. We are better than this. So I want us to remember, everything we're living started with Barack Hussein Obama. The media bias that they wouldn't even say his middle name. The media bias that they wouldn't show a photo of him with Farrakhan during the campaign. And the photographer just sat on it. The fact that all the media got together on a secret chat room that was found, and they literally said anybody who criticized them were going to call them a racist, including Hillary Clinton. Because it was their wet dream. Wealth redistribution. You didn't build that. And every woke fucking thing we lived through was started with Barack Hussein Obama, who turned every institution to no longer the will of the people or what the people want, a brainwashing cult of wokeness. That's what our country is. And Barack Hussein Obama was there. He got circus clowns fired. He called you bitter clingers. The man was a douche nozzle. 100% douche nozzle. He's why we're at we're at. I don't care what anybody says. We're at we're at. Because of him. That's why you get Biden, his pen and Sharpie. And these lies. With the Inflation Reduction Act, the American people won and Big Pharma lost. No, you overruled a Trump thing and then reinstated it to lower insulin cost. Everybody knows it. That's what you did. You did it. Hold one, sorry. My wife is out and about. I'm just checking on her. Iconic Wawa is now closing during the safety. And you add on top of that the fact that you have Walgreens, Rite Aid, CGS, or C, C, whatever the fuck the other one is. They're closing. And let's not remember. Let's not forget the last thing I want to make on this Obama thing is that he did the IRS scandal. They literally were focusing on people. And then what does Obama? What does Obama two Biden do? Same same. Now the media is so fucking biased. This poor reporter who did it is now getting crushed, and you guarantee she'll get less airtime. They're just, then they're mad at CNN because they said, hey, he's lying about freaking fracking. You got Tom fucking Nichols. The same guy who has excoriated conservatives for medical conditions, including Trump, is now, oh, it makes him, it's like shaving off the edges. Shaving off the edges. And now we have Fetterman saying they're weaponizing the story about me chasing down a black guy with a shotgun. This is all from Obama. This is what Obama wrought us. He began the seeds of this woke world we live in. People will say, oh, that's not true. Oh, it's true. He started all this shit. He was the quiet guy. You didn't even know what he was doing because he did the regulations that made all your electricity go up. He's the one that started the clean energy city. He started everything. 
That's why most of us voted for Trump, even though we didn't want Trump, because we couldn't have another four years of Obama. This country would be fucking socialist. It's a shit show because of him. And then I want to do another little vignette. I'm going to start a new section called My Soapbox. But this this happened. Big battle off of turn four here. The oh, and into the wall oh. goes Bubba Wallace. Oh. And he comes back across the track, tags the five. They're both in the wall, and the caution comes out. Steps the 20 car, and Christopher Bell. Christopher Bell hard into the outside wall. So why am I covering NASCAR? Well, because it's Bubba Wallace, it became a political football all over Twitter. And people thought, oh, that's just ridiculous. So much so that they literally had a, um, the article was, people are accusing of, uh, accusing Bubba Wallace of anti-Asian crime. It was a joke, but they fact-checked that shit. That shit was totally fact-checked. And everybody thought just because he's black and because NASCAR is a redneck sport, he was supposed to walk. But he tried to kill a motherfucker. That's what he did because the guy bumped into him. Listen, HMS drivers crowd everybody. I hate it. So I understand why he got pissed. But he hooked the guy in the right corner on a turn. And luckily he didn't land the wrong way because those that are uneducated on the source. Guys are out. Kurt Busch had to retire from a concussion he got from this fucking car. Bowman's out because he got a concussion from this car. And there's plenty of other guys that do rear entry crashes that have concussions, but they didn't get out. They're still racing because the car is unsafe. It's made too stiff in the back so it doesn't have crumple zones. And people are getting fucked up. But this was a political thing because of Obama. This became an, a political thing. His legacy's still here. If you're black, you can kill a polar bear. Don't fucking matter. I mean, for Christ's sake, they're trying to take Bill Murray out. Bill Murray. And because of the legacy Obama, our media jerk-off of the week is the debates. Because this is a waste of everybody's time. Because you really don't get a fucking debate anymore. You just skirt the fucking questions. Miami politics, the media jerk off of the week. So hot. Georgia, I have to ask you, what the hell is on your mind? Well, I have two ladies here who are going to help me get through all of this, and that is Erin Haynes, East Atlanta Erin uh, from MSNBC. Uh, she's a political contributor and editor-at-large for the 19th, Erin 3000, we like to call her, and Tia Mitchell. She's the Washington correspondent for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and I just discovered a FAMU grad and Delta Sigma Theta member, so I'm happy to have you both here. Um, okay, so Tia, I'll start with you because, honestly, I don't feel like these debates really move the needle for voters. I'm baffled that 6% of Georgia voters say that they're undecided. What the hell are you undecided about? But then I wonder, are people being dishonest when they're being contacted by pollsters? So what do you think? I agree. I don't think the debates really move the needle. The only thing that I think 
may have been impacted by the debate is if there are Republicans, conservatives who were starting to pull back and say, like, it's been too many mistakes by Herschel Walker, too many blunders, too many incoherent answers to questions. Perhaps this debate gave them a reason, those who needed a reason, those who said, Herschel Walker, give me something yeah. so that I can feel good supporting you. He may have given it to them last night. Now, that's Did a low he? bar, Did though. He? Well, I mean, if again, if it just was, can he speak coherently? Can mm -hmm. he have answers that make sense? Did he? <laughs> Did he speak coherently? I Did think, relatively speaking, yeah. The again, he set his expectations really low, and I think he met those relatively low expectations. Yeah. Well, um, Aaron Tia is saying there are low expectations, and people wanted him to hear him speak in, uh, coherently. I would argue he spoke mostly incoherently. To the extent that Georgia voters were locked into that debate, there was also you know, a Braves game going on last night at the same time. Was the debate that we watched, a lot of us watched, was that the debate that, that Georgia voters watched? And, and I think that when you saw Herschel Walker, for example, looking directly to camera, talking about the issue of mental health, saying, look, I struggled with this. If you need help, all you have to do is ask. That might have been something that was very powerful for voters. I agree with Tia. There uh, were, there's definitely uh, in Georgia, uh, some number of Republicans who, at this point, literally early voting is starting tomorrow in Georgia. We are three Tuesdays away from election day. This is the candidate that Republicans have. And so it is just a matter of how many of them are going to feel comfortable getting on board with this or not. And that debate may have made some of them get more comfortable with him because this was, you know, the only time that these candidates are going to debate. And, you know, you've got running back Herschel Walker, who literally only had to prepare for game day last night. And I think that he hit a lot of the points that he needed to hit because he managed to, you know, at least meet, if not exceed ex the expectations that were there for him. And a lot of folks who were watching that debate said, you know, that, that Senator Warnock, a seasoned, uh, gifted pastor who is also the sitting senator did not meet expectations in the way that wow. they thought that he would and so you know it depends on what who was who was watching that debate and what they thought they saw versus what those of us in the media you know who frankly do not have a vote in this were looking at it, it could end up being very different yeah, but that is so wild to me that somebody said Walker um, met expectations, but Warnock did not. And I have to say, I thought some of the questions uh, posed to Warnock were a, a bit unfair. It, they seem to skew a bit conservative, to be honest. Um, and so it, it's just wild to me. I think sometimes the media goes out of its way to normalize this kind of asinine behavior, just at the you know over-cautious effort to not appear, uh, appear uh, to be partial or biased. But we, as members of the media, ought to be able to say this. We've been talking to a lot of voters who say the economy is a top issue for them. Democrats have been in control of the White House, of Congress for the past few years. Inflation has soared. Why should Georgia voters give you another chance? We are still in the throes of a pandemic that dragged on for more than two years. Marcus, you're a father, and you are a representative of the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party is the party of child abuse. It's the party that represents grooming children and sexualizing them in school, teaching anti-white racism in the terms of CRT education, and genital mutilation of kids, kids that can't even get a driver's license, can't get a tattoo, and cannot vote. How do you stand there and represent the Democrat Party as a father, and do you believe in genital mutil mutilation of children under the age of 18? 
and and these puberty blockers that have severe health consequences. Time for your because question. I have re I've introduced a bill to ban it and make it a felony to genital to mutilate children's genitals. Do you stand by that? Boy, that, that was a lot. And God bless you, Marjorie Taylor Greene. If you truly believe that, that I'm praying for you. You know, I believe in this country. I believe in our democracy. And I believe in standing up for human rights. People come up to me every day and tell me how they feel attacked by you. And yes, I'm talking about children and our LGBTQ plus community. Every day, Congresswoman Green, seniors, Latinos, blacks, men and women, every day. This is how she treats the people of Northwest Georgia and the people, people of America, attacks, constantly attacking. That's not representative, Green. You represent them. I do, I represent and I will always protect children. And that's why I introduced the Protect Children's Innocent Act to protect children who just may be confused about their identity. Kids need to grow up. They do not need to have mastectomies, castration, or take dangerous drugs that have serious health con consequences. Marcus Flowers represents the Democrat Party, and the Democrat Party is the party of child abuse. And we have to stand up and stop it right now. To protect children, we protect them from making serious mistakes that will last a lifetime. The same mistakes and regrets that many, many D-trans people extreme, have right now. Extreme examples and time. lies is what Marjorie Taylor Greene is doing, trying to misrepresent me. That's the time on this. I would just say that one way we deal with gun violence is to take the bad people that are doing the shootings and lock them up and not in cash bail like Miss Abrams wants to do. I support law enforcement and did so for 11 years. So yes to some defunding. We have to reallocate resources, so yes. Yeah, Ms. Abrams, in 2018, you didn't concede defeat to Governor Kemp, and you talked to systemic problems with the state's election system. This election, do you commit to accept the outcome of the vote, regardless of what it shows? And do you stand by your use of words like rigged four years ago to describe the state's election system? In 2018, I began my speech on November 16th acknowledging that Governor Kemp had won the election. As governor, I intend to stand up for the right to vote. I will always acknowledge the outcome of elections, but I will never deny access to every voter because that is the responsibility of every American to defend the right to vote. Thank you, Brian Kemp. Rebuttal, 30 seconds. Well, I would just say uh, that Ms. Abrams is going to do a lot of attacking of my record tonight because she doesn't want to talk about her own record. In 2018, in the governor's race, we had the largest African-American turnout in the country. She said that Senate Bill 202, our recent Elections Integrity Act, what we passed two years ago, would be suppressive in Jim Crow 2.0. Just this past May in our primaries, we again had record turnout in the Republican primary and the Democratic primary. Stacey Abrams is still refusing to acknowledge she was defeated. And with all the J6 stuff and everything they're fucking saying, which I'll go in more depth later, A.B. Klobuchar, in the United States of America, no one's above the law. Really? Because last I checked, nothing's happening with Hunter Biden. Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley says new whistleblower documents reveal President Biden was aware of son Hunter Biden's business arrangements and may have been involved in some of them.
Senator Grassley has written to the Attorney General, the FBI Director, and the Delaware U.S. Attorney, saying the Bureau may have failed to follow up because of improper disinformation claims tied to Russia prior to the 2020 election. President Biden has repeatedly denied speaking to Hunter about his business dealings. Hunter Biden is currently under federal investigation for tax issues. No comment tonight from the White House, the Justice Department, the FBI. You know that would be a fucking total 100% grade A, the walls are closing in. We'd impeach. We would impeach. That's, we'd be impeaching. Because he knew. You know he knew. Everybody knows he knew. He, he is the big guy. We have a candidate running, a Rolling Stone reporter, literally had to delete a tweet because she said the wife is the candidate because right now we have a president that the wife's the president. No, you're going to argue that? that? That's just the facts. We have a media that's so entailed in this stuff. Warnock denies his church of Vic's tenants. Three eviction notices were filed last week. They got pictures. The candidate, Herschel Walker, went and sat next to people. It was a group of people that got evicted. Because the media is panicking, completely panicking over this election. And you can see it in our asshole section because they are not mentally well right now. Fuck you, asshole. You asshole. This is why we can't have nice things. You asshole! Are you just an asshole? Is that it? Fuck you, you asshole! You ever hear the saying, you run into an asshole in the morning, you ran into an asshole? You run into assholes all day, you're the asshole. Fuck you, asshole. You! You are such an asshole! You dumb asshole! Asshole. Fucking asshole! Away from me, you asshole. Which I say two things. One, I think the January 6th committee, despite some of the really good work they've done, and I agree with Julie on some of the bringing out of facts that they've done, was resigned to having a credibility problem because of the membership of the committee and the way that was done. And so there are lots of Republicans across this country who just say, there's nobody there to argue the other side. Kinzinger and Cheney don't argue the other side to the extent that there is some arguments there. Um, but there's, and that's no, what, there's no but other, yeah, what side, is the other on side on whether the election. Hey, look, I think, the, I think that you can question a lot of these witnesses who came up and, and test their credibility, Donna. Bill Barr? Well, You're going to uh, test the credibility of the former well, listen, attorney general? You're you know going to test the credibility you know of the people who were inside the, the Oval there, Office there are a lot of advising people, the yeah. president? You're going well, to test the credibility? Donna, you keep talking of, or you no, want no, me to, seriously, you want me to Chris, give the answer? What is the other side? You, you, you can test the credibility of people, and by doing that, it can give them more credibility. But instead, they're it's a TV production. Yeah, you're going to test the credibility of the cops no, no, who got their heads smashed no, in. No, is that's that, not, that's who you're no, going to that, test? No, that's not who I'm testing, Donna, but there are lots of people inside the White House who now have convenient memories about things that didn't have memories about them before. You can ask questions about that. But the second point is this, that the reason this isn't breaking through with voters in 2022 is because Donald Trump's not on the ballot. You know, in the end, what the January 6th committee has made this all about is Donald Trump and his role in January 6th. Absolutely appropriate to make it about that. But when he's not on the ballot, it's very hard for Democrats to be able to make this a cutting issue, especially in the light of huge inflation, gas prices, crime in the streets, 
open borders, drug overdoses. Those things are things that are affecting people's everyday lives, and they don't see it that way. Now, if Donald Trump's on the ballot in 2024, then this... The Democratic candidate for governor in Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, is trying to counter attacks on his record combating crime from his Republican opponent, Doug Mastriano, who was an election denier who attended the January 6th rally, but says he did not join other protesters who actually broke into the Capitol building. Joining me now is Josh Shapiro, who's running for Pennsylvania governor and is the current attorney general. General Shapiro, it's great to see you. Thank you very much. So Good, good to be with you, Andrea. Thank you. Well, at least 200 Republican nominees running for office right now are election deniers, including your opponent. So talk about what's at stake in this election with so many Republicans. They're all Republicans, the election deniers, across the country. Uh, in battleground states, which will, of course, yeah. be critical coming up in 2024. You know, Andrea, I'm running against by far the most dangerous and extreme uh, candidate in the entire country. We know where he was on January the 6th. He was part of that violent mob that breached police lines. In fact, when the police held up steel barricades, the violent mob he was with ripped it out of the hands of law enforcement and kept on marching. Police died that day, Andrea, and in the days thereafter. It's one of the reasons, by the way, why uh, so many in law enforcement have rejected my opponent and support me. But there's a reason why he was there that day on January 6th. It wasn't to hear a speech or peacefully protest. He was there to stop the votes of Pennsylvanians from being counted in the last election. And it's not just what he did in the past, it's what he has pledged to do in the future. He has already said that he would use his power as governor to review the voting logs in 2024 and, quote, decertify certain voting machines around Pennsylvania. Those are his words, not mine. His point there is that he can use his power as Pennsylvania governor to decertify enough voting machines so he gets to pick the winner next time. Listen, I'll be damned if I'm going to let Doug Mastriano thwart the will of the people. I battled against the former president and his enablers over 40 times in court back in 2020 to protect the votes of the good people of Pennsylvania. We won every one of those lawsuits. We stopped them from being able to steal the election. I'm not going to let Doug Mastriano in his dangerous ways take away the voice and the vote of the good people of Pennsylvania. Well, let me ask you about another issue, which is anti-Semitism. So, He's been going after the Jewish day school that you have your children attending. He says that he's rejected anti-Semitism in any form, but he that's only after he was criticized for paying a consultant who runs an anti-Semitic website uh, to be a consultant on his campaign and share followers. Um, how big do you think anti-Semitism as an issue is for Pennsylvania voters? Well, let's just examine his record. I mean, I think he, he has made clear um, that unless you think like him, unless you look like him, unless you worship like him, unless you marry like him, then you don't count in Doug Mastriano's Pennsylvania. He is extremely dangerous. I want to be a governor that brings all people together, no matter what you look like or where you come from, who you love or who you pray to. He is someone, the only candidate in the nation, who is actively recruiting white supremacists to be part of his campaign. Um, he's actively recruiting people on a website known as Gab, which, Andrea, I know you know what Gab was used for. It was used by the killer who went into the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh and murdered 11 Pittsburghers while they worshipped. And yet, that's where the Republican nominee for governor of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is going for support. He routinely 
uh, uses racist slurs and anti-Semitic slurs and, and tropes. He, of course, is uh, a candidate who stood on the grounds of the U.S. Army War College just a few years ago wearing the uniform of the Confederacy. Andrea, that's the uniform of the traitors. That's the uniform of those who went to battle to defend slavery. That is who he is. He has shown us time and time again that he is someone who is trying to exclude certain Pennsylvanians from the conversation. I'm trying to bring Pennsylvanians together and make sure that they're part of our collective future. Now, you've got a problem in Pennsylvania as a candidate, a Democratic candidate, where uh, the president, even though he used to be so strong in Pennsylvania, is not as popular as he used to be. And inflation is much stickier than anyone had projected, especially the White House. Uh, costs are going up. There are a lot, lot of problems that are headwinds for Democratic candidates. How do you deal with that? Well, first off, I don't look to Washington, D.C. for answers or information. I look to Washington County, Pennsylvania. I take my cues from right here inside our great Commonwealth. And I'm focused on the issues that matter most to the good people of Pennsylvania, including how we can cut costs. Look, obviously, the governor and the legislature didn't create inflation. Those are broader national, international geopolitical issues. But we have a responsibility to address it. It's why I put forth a concrete plan months ago on eliminating new taxes here in the Commonwealth, like our cell phone taxes, being able to help seniors stay in their homes, giving folks a gas tax rebate for those who own a car or lease a car, being able to put money back in their pockets. We do have to make it easier for Pennsylvanians to deal with rising costs. But as for the political issues happening in Washington, D.C., I paid no attention to that. I'm focused on building a broad coalition here in Pennsylvania. Um, this is a campaign built up by and for the good people of Pennsylvania. It's one of the reasons why we're so proud to have a campaign that includes not just incredible support uh, from within our Democratic Party, but independents and Republicans who continue to join our campaign as well, because they recognize we can bring people together and tackle these big challenges. Now, well, Attorney General Josh Shapiro running for governor. Thank you very much. But here's the thing, Claire. Everything that Charles is saying makes sense, but when you talk to the American people, They've had, they've been conditioned to believe it's Democrats. They're the ones who overspend. They're the ones who don't know how to handle money. Watch this. President Biden and House Democrats' reckless spending and failed far-left policies have plunged our economy into a recession. Raising spending to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars. More tax and spend will make this problem worse, not better. Democrats chose to spend so recklessly. The Democrats want to tax more, want to spend more. They're pushing this reckless tax and spend bill. Stop spending money. So let's get this straight, Claire. Republicans have a huge problem with what they say are Democrats overspending, but they are a-okay with the president ripping us off. Well, worse than that, Stephanie, under Donald Trump, we had record debt and deficits. I sat on the floor of the Senate and watched Republicans vote big spending bill after big spending bill. You know, I remember Mike Lee, who's in a race for his life out in Utah. I remember in 2010, the Tea Party. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Remember that it was all about government spending. Well, Mike Lee, tomorrow would be a good day for you to stand up to government spending. Tomorrow would be a great day for you to say, I'm not going to put up with the government being overcharged by anyone. 
And I will wait to see if he does that. I'm betting he won't because they only care about spending when they're the ones not doing it. I mean, I understand. The inflation has gotten people, you, you, if you can't put food on the table, it's mm -hmm. very depressing. And if you can't put gas in your car and, and, you know, and inflation and rents and everything else is piling up because of various reasons. You know, one of them is, is the pandemic. Another one is maybe the war in Iraq, in um, Ukraine. Yeah. But, but to think that the other party is going to be able to solve those problems is really ludicrous because the Republican Party is happy to let corporations never pay another tax for the rest of their days. Yeah. They will cut Social Security. They go, they're going to cut lunches for children. They are not going to help you. So why would you vote for them? And yet I see that it's very close, that people are not understanding what the stakes are. Um, but I have to ask, like, something that I, I, I want to say this respectfully, I worry there might be a blind spot about at this table is um, the fact that the average American family lost $6,000 in annual wages last year due to inflation. Blame Biden or don't, but there is a reason that Tim Ryan is running in Ohio away from Biden and away from Nancy Pelosi. And this is a state that both times nominated Barack Obama to be president, but then flipped to Donald Trump. There Worker, workers feel like they're not getting the most out of the economy. And, they're and falling what, behind and then, Democrats. So what will the Republican what is Party the Republican do? Well, agenda, think, and do you think those same people understand that the, the little bit of money the, that they did get, every single Republican voted against it? But there's it. a reason Democrats every aren't running one. on the payments that they did during COVID because it added to inflation. I wish I could give every American $2,000, $2,000, but it adds to inflation so, in this crisis. Well, so it was an emergency, so it was it was an emergency time for us in I, this I agree. By the way, and I supported them it. through the height of the pandemic. Yeah. when people artificially yeah. couldn't go to work because right. the economy was shut down. I also think that with, the, the, with Biden, his challenge is that he hasn't been able to communicate to the American people <laughs> what he's done. I mean, we can say that the difference between Donald Trump and the difference within Biden is Biden is a policy president. So he has, he's going to make oh. fundamental changes for a generation. When and we're talking about student loan relief. We're talking about bringing back manufacturing. And the list goes on. But the difference with, with Trump is that his consequence is not policy. Right. It's his legacy of undermining elections. But, and it's not just him. It's not him. But he is, actually has a cadre of individuals right now seeking office that are election deniers. But, but, and but, that legacy is far more dangerous for a modern day president than Biden any other thing can't because, go it, on, because it believes word. in undermining our democracy. Biden can't go on TV because 401ks are down 20 to 25 percent because of the price of eggs is more than we've ever paid in our lifetime because of gas is going up. The Democrats don't want Biden around. Republicans right now, the last four weeks, they just yeah. want the super PAC ads. Well, to be Democrats up. do want one Democratic president well, campaigning for him. <laughs> it's the former Democratic <laughs> president who we're going to see a lot of, I think, in the yeah. last three weeks. Last question for you, Congresswoman. You have been demonized in recent years as an anti-Semite uh, by many, especially by Donald Trump and the GOP, over your criticisms of Israel and of Jewish groups supportive of Israel, some of which you have regretted and apologized for. You have said you should have been more careful in some of your language in the past. And yet this morning, former President Trump tweeted, and I quote, Jews need to get their act together and appreciate what they have in Israel before it's too late. This coming from the guy who said you should have resigned from Congress for your comments. What do you make of Trump's post this morning? And what do you think the right would be saying if you or Rashida Tlaib had threatened American Jews in this way, which, of course, I know you wouldn't have done? Yeah, I mean, the, the hypocrisy um, of, of the Republicans uh, is blatantly clear as they are not rushing out to condemn the president who, the former president who knowingly, repeatedly invokes, um, uh, 
you know, uh, dual loyalty uh, tropes that are harmful and dangerous. As you know, anti-Semitism is on the rise, and all of us have a responsibility to condemn it uh, and to continue to have someone um, as the as the um, former president with his platform uh, continuously speaking to his white supremacist base yes. in, in such a language, uh, it's very scary and dangerous, and we have to condemn it in the strongest ways possible. Indeed. We Why did the president wait till now to make this major push for what he says will be a post election call for a fast track on abortion rights nationwide because the house passed it in the fall after after yeah. texas the senate failed to to win the vote in the spring why didn't the president really push for that last fall when outrage over the draft opinion showed the handwriting was on the wall well the president has been a very strong supporter uh, of a woman's right to choose in your preview, you said, why is he waiting until after the election instead of doing it now? We don't have 60 votes in the Senate. If we could get two more. You don't think he could have pushed harder on the Senate You last think spring? we would have gotten 60, uh, 10 Republican votes? You think we would have gotten 10 Republican votes? Oh, come on. You know, let's, let's um, with all due respect, okay. the fact is we need to get two more Democratic votes to push back this, uh, the filibuster and therefore be able to, with 51 votes uh, to enshrine Roe v. Wade into the law. And that will be on the 50th and around the time of the 50th anniversary of, of Roe v. Wade de a Supreme Court decision. When the court decision came down on Dobbs, we were ready. We were ready with great candidates, with mobilization at the grassroots level, with a message discipline for the districts we have to win and for money. Uh, we're out raising the Republicans uh, with our candidates, with their dark money, of course. They have endless. We don't need endless. We just will have enough. Folks, that Pelosi stuff, I mean, her daughter was there. Eighth grade son to the Capitol One Six says it was for him to see a lesson in civics. But does anybody believe that? They are so desperate that Robert Reich... They think this can fly, that it's red states. It's red states' fault. CNN, the Washington Post, have been forced to talk about those fake newspapers they're putting out. That's fake news. We just ran an election. Fake news. Russia. Blah, blah, blah. Do we remember this? I remember it. We, we don't care now. And if you really want to see a fear trend, here is Morning Joe with we're a heartbeat, a dead heat between democracy and fascism and a few other choice cuts where they're basically just trying to scare the living shit out of Dems to get them to vote because they're just like us. They want the economy fixed. I have one thing before we get there, because I do want to pose this to you. It does seem like Republicans fall for this more than Democrats. The Republicans fall for conspiracy theories more than Democrats. Yes? Uh, I, I don't know I if have that's polls. true or not. I have <laughs> polls to prove it. Here's the COVID conspiracy. Adults who think that the COVID outbreak was planned. Um, Republicans, 34%. Democrats, 18%. QAnon by party, Republicans, 43%. Democrats, 19%. People who believe the election lies, Republicans, uh, oh, no, people who believe that Biden is the legitimate president, 
Democrats 98%, Republicans 34%. Yeah, I mean, I lived through the Bush administration, and a lot of people believe a lot of crazy things about George W. Bush that weren't true either. So I agree with Kevin that um, I think that if you have a prior view, like in the case of these schools, if you believe that there are people in the schools who are making the schools into something crazy, so then that's your prior view, and then some other thing comes. It, it's just easy to just tack that on to what you already believe. So I, I do think that is happening. Actually, preparing for this, research this today. Oh. There actually is kitty litter in schools. You know why? Because there's cats. No, because sometimes schools put it in there in the event of a lockdown or emergency situation. And if the students mm -hmm. are in the classroom and they cannot get out and go to the bathroom. So it's, it's actually in some schools been used for, for the emergency purposes. That's, you know what? That's actually really interesting because you just proved that you can debunk something. You can debunk a hoax. Yeah. You can debunk something that sounds absurd by doing one minute of research on your phone. You know, yeah. well, your thoughts on this? I mean, just a lot of distrust of institutions and the government that's really being peddled more often on the right. Don't you think that Republicans yeah, they, are more susceptible? They definitely to are more theories? susceptible. I, I would say they, they have they have they have and, networks and that are much better more disciplined at sharing this information or aggressive at sharing this information. I mean, information, the pizza parlor sure. where, where Hillary Clinton Absolutely. is supposedly right. running yes. at the... Stop! I mean, that's just... Democrats it's, don't, it's don't, ridiculous. Not, not, don't not, spread that not, stuff. Not on this network, but on a, on a competitor. I, I see some crazy things said on a nightly basis that come from the true fever swamps of the American uh, this is not Overwhelming majority of FBI employees, agents, analysts, professional staff have political opinions and every single day they come in, they put those aside and they honor their oath to the Constitution. The fact is that I think you do have a small number and I was going to say this initial email that was published was in the days and weeks following the insurrection and some people not in D.C. might just simply watching that footage say, oh, well, this was a riot that got out of control. What concerns me is what you reported that even now, recently, that there might be anybody who would think that this was just some sort of riot that got out of control, that isn't aware of these multiple complex conspiracies that were going on weeks and months prior to the insurrection, that there weren't these fake slates of electors that were being ginned up and planned months before January 6th. That, to me, points to a leadership failure. You have got to have some ability to tell the workforce, to educate the workforce in unequivocal terms about what's going on. Now, we don't know what's going on inside the hallways of the FBI. I suspect all employee emails would hear something, you know, whether us on the panel or whether leaks to the media, people would say something about it. But what concerns me is the only thing I've heard talking about political opinions recently is some people on the right getting Director Ray to say some poor agent who liked on Twitter a Washington Post editorial about Bill Barr that Ray admits that he finds that concerning. And I would say, you know, I agree with Andrew about the attorney general and the deputy attorney general being involved. But I also think internal change is hard. And that's why we have things like inspectors general. That's why we have things like congressional oversight. I have yet to see, and I assume that the inspector general is doing some sort of look at the FBI's response to January 6th. But when I look back at the appearances that senior FBI officials have had, I've been stunned, frankly, at the lack of really piercing, substantive, hard questions about what the FBI did or didn't do. And to Frank's point, that's not only important because what happened, we've had midterm elections with a whole host of election deniers on the ballot coming up in a month and a half here. In two years after that, we've got another presidential election where an entire party is basing their platform on denying any results other than Donald Trump or the Republican nominee getting elected. This is a problem going forward, and we've got to get our hands around it.
Pete, let me just follow up. There is right now an anti-democracy side and a pro-democracy side in American life. It's very simple. It's not about party ID at this point. It is about whether you are for continued and expanded liberal democracy or not. And the, mm-hmm. the pro-democracy side is hamstrung by a belief that simply doing the right thing and standing for the right thing in its imagination is self-explanatory. That people will gravitate to you if you're doing the right thing on Ukraine or doing the right thing for inflation or doing the right thing in policy as you see it. And the argument of the persuaders is that, in fact, the pro-democracy side right now is not winning. And it's not just not winning because of rigging and big lies, as Jonathan has covered, and, and, and voter suppression and, you know, state election officials who, who toy with things. Although that is very real and very dangerous and serious. Yes. I don't think it's, if you look at these polls, you're just asking people on the street. It is a dead heat between democracy and fascism. And so I set out in the persuaders to ask why. I got tired of despairing watching this show and all the excellent coverage of this descent towards fascism and authoritarianism. And, and, and why is this happening? And why are we relegated to despairing about it? And I got tired of my own despair and decided to spend the last couple of years reporting on people who are showing another way, particularly organizers working on the ground in communities across this country, outside the limelight, activists, political leaders, scientists, as a cult deprogrammer in the book, because as you have covered on this show, we are there with millions of our fellow citizens. And I tried to learn from them what the pro-democracy movement can do, starting right now to beat back the authoritarian menace to save American democracy uh, and, and realize the future of nice things that we all deserve. There's a half a million people in jail in America they haven't been convicted of anything, but they can't post bail. And of course, Khalif Browder really brought it to light. At age 16, Khalif Browder was sent to Rikers Island for allegedly stealing a backpack. His $3,000 bail was way too much for his family to pay. Khalif Browder, who was 16 years old when he was accused of stealing a backpack. His bail was set, though, at $3,000, which he didn't have and couldn't afford. So he ended up spending three years at Rikers Island waiting for trial. Khalif Browder, that young man who was held in prison, held in jail for three years and hadn't been convicted of anything. Hundreds of thousands of Americans in jail simply because they cannot afford to pay their bail. Khalif Browder was one of them. He spent three years in Rikers because he was accused of stealing a backpack. Thousands who languish in jail pending trial because they can't can't afford to post bond. Perhaps the most egregious case is that of Khalif Browder, the Bronx teenager who spent three years in a a Rikers Island jail cell without a trial. Nearly two of those years were in solitary confinement, all because he was accused of stealing a backpack and couldn't afford bail. I often think of Khalif Browder, who spent three years in Rikers Island, not charged with anything in any to people who've been sitting in jail like Khalif Browder, who sat in Rikers for months and then ended up killing himself, um, all because he allegedly stole a backpack that he didn't end up stealing. Khalif Browder, he was an innocent 22-year-old, never convicted of anything. He was legally innocent in the eyes of the system. He was awaiting a trial, but was held for two years in solitary confinement, then died in a jail at Rikers in a reported suicide. Now, what crime was he charged with? 
while still legally innocent? What was he waiting trial for? Stealing a backpack. The prison system held him for longer before trial than the likely punishment for that petty offense of stealing a backpack. I remember when the law was talked about, because I think about the young boy, Khalif Browder. I think about the accusation yes. he'd stolen a backpack and having to pay for the presumption of innocence and the tragedy that fell upon him and his family based on not being able to make that bail. And well, Khalif Browder, and this is before bail reform, was held in Rikers for three years without a trial because he could not afford bail just for stealing a backpack, allegedly. Okay, so that's what the past was. Rich and prominent defendants are not typically held in jail before trial. The system still favors their money and connections and lets them prepare for trial in the comfort of their own home. This is where innocent people are being warehoused awaiting trial in America. Take Khalif Browder. He was just 16 years old when he was accused of stealing a backpack, but that was enough to throw him into this system. His bail was set at $10,000 money that he as a 16 year old obviously did not have and his family didn't have. He was held in Rikers for longer than the punishment that he would have gotten if convicted of stealing a backpack. And a minor accused. Shit's just shocking, man. They will say fucking anything to get people to go vote. This lie just keeps lying. He just keeps lying and he gets away from it. Now, we find out that this more election interference, Biden and men to release another 10 to 15 million barrels of oil to try to improve gas prices after he asked the Saudis to do it. And those would all be termed as election interference. He can't do that. What is he doing? He's just trying to buy votes. I mean, Molly Hemingway, and I'm going to do these back to back. And Carrie Lake. There, if I had a sound bite of the day, these two would be in a tie. Um, meantime, the president has also said this week, if you elect Republicans, if you give the GOP control, you just watch inflation is going to get terrible. This is the headline over at your place, the Federalist. Molly, they say, get ready for Democrats' new strategy blaming future Biden inflation on a GOP Congress. We've seen that pretty uniformly this week. Yeah, it's a fascinating strategy to try to blame Republicans when Democrats control the White House, both houses of Congress. And we have seen that American voters very much are aware of inflation, rising costs, problems with the economy. And that's that's actually one of the issues that they say is motivating them to vote. And you look at, you know, all these polls that are out there that show that on the issues that American voters care about, whether it's inflation, the economy, crime, um, you know, these these types of issues, they're tending to say that they think Republicans will do a better job. So they can try that messaging, but I don't know how much sway it's going to have with the voter. I want to make sure we also get to January 6th committee. We think this week was the last hearing, although they're saying it's not set in stone. There could be more things to come. But as part of this, at the end of the hearing, they voted unanimously to subpoena President Trump. Um, professor Jonathan Turley, law professor we have on quite a bit, um, said this about waiting to the last minute of the last that we know of hearing to do the subpoena. He says the delay undermines the credibility of the effort. From the first day, the J6 committee said Trump was central to its investigation. So, Richard, do they risk this looking like political theater because they've waited to the last minute to drop this bomb? 
I think that's going to be in the mind of the view of the mind of the voters that go to the polls. But I think it's worth pointing out here that from the beginning of this committee, and even if you talk to folks in Trump's camp, they he wanted more Republicans on the committee, and it was um, it was Kevin McCarthy who said no to that. And I think as we sit here now and we watch some of the harrowing behind-the-scenes footage that we saw of Speaker Pelosi and, and pictures of Vice President Mike Pence scrambling to try to save the United States Capitol, who's missing from that picture is former President Donald Trump, which we find which we saw last March. A federal judge said that he's most likely one of the causes for this. So I think this subpoena, while we, I, like, I doubt that we'll see Donald Trump on Capitol Hill, I think this subpoena speaks to where the January 6th riot started and how we got here. I just have to correct really quickly. It's not true that uh, Kevin McCarthy is responsible for no Republicans no, 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 no. being on the committee. He actually <laughs> did appoint members to that committee. Nancy Pelosi refused to seat them, which has never happened in the history of congressional investigations or congressional committees. And so it's not that this lost credibility at this point. It actually never had credibility because there was not a single Republican appointed member on that committee, so it always looked partisan. But Madison, and it he also then, always he looked told everybody. Well, McCarthy but, then pulled. But because Nancy Pelosi removed his top two members, that's never happened. But Molly, in it's the also worth pointing out what you see throughout. What you've seen through every hearing is you've seen high-level, high-ranking Trump officials testifying, showing that the president was not active yeah, on so January sixth. No we also the show, they also showed evidence that the, he he didn't have he didn't protect the Capitol on January sixth. What I think we also this show shows evidence is that it shows that Democrats are very focused on this while the American voter is worried about how they're going to pay for their groceries, how they're going to pay for gas, and that this is their final closing message. I think it's going to go as poorly for Democrats this year well, as it went for Republicans in 1990. So one of the key players... If you're going to start throwing around terms like election denier, let's remember who the other election deniers were, Hillary Clinton and all the Democrats. Next question. The question is, you over the weekend, everybody, you took the Google all over the world. Your name was ringing everywhere. And one of them, yes, ma'am, because I have the scale. And one of them has a Muslim or more accent. Is she a, 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 an election denier, Carrie Lake? And that was like, like going around on all different cable news. What do you elaborate on this? I'm actually shocked you asked that question, George. <laughs> well, actually, Anthony, where's Anthony? Once in a while. <laughs> Here, Anthony. You know, I, I did a little, actually, Anthony. Anthony, how old are you? 20. Are you a journalist? No. Well, you did better research than half these people. Um, Let's talk about election deniers. Here's 150 examples of Democrats denying election results. Oh, wow, look at this. This is from, this is from uh, Joe Biden's press secretary. Reminder, Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. Democrats saying that. Is that an election denier? Oh, look at this. Just heard Republican Ryan Costello said it would be difficult for Stacey Abrams to win because she lost her state bid, but yet she's still claiming she never lost. This is outright Hillary Clinton. Trump is an illegitimate president. Is she an election denier? This one says, was the 2016 election legitimate? It now definitely is a question worth asking. That's the Los Angeles Times. So it's okay for Democrats to question elections, but it's not okay for Republicans it's a crock of BS. Every one of you knows it. We have our freedom of speech, and we're not going to relinquish it to a bunch of fake news propagandists. If you want a copy of these, I'm sure that we're, Anthony would help you get a copy and help you learn how to be journalists, but look it up. It's been happening for a long time. Since 2000, people have questioned the legitimacy of our elections, and all we're asking is that in the future, we don't have that have to happen anymore. Okay. When I'm governor, 
excuse me, when I'm governor, we're going to make sure we have honest elections. We want the Democrats, the independents, and the Republicans to all know that their vote counted. We want fair, honest, and transparent elections, and we're going to deliver that for the people. But just remember, guys, this is one page after Hillary Clinton says George W. Bush was selected president, not elected. So let's start, if you're going to start throwing around terms like election denier, let's remember who the other election deniers were, Hillary Clinton and all the Democrats. Next question. They nail it. Both of them nail it. I mean, look at this. Main political players, tennis conference for shadowy Democrat alliance. It's dark money. And yet all you hear is we need to get dark money out. That When they're saying that stuff, they're basically lying. That's their way of fucking lying. And before we go into woke, this I want to defund the police, 490,000 fucking dollars. That's what they poured in to security for her. Just for her. It's a lot of fucking cabbage. So let's do some woke. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. And, you know, Tanya, I want to bring you in the conversation because, um, you know, I see these things. I've heard and been in proximity to these things my entire life. Um, I've always grown up um, in in communities where the Latino community was very adjacent and, you know, a lot of shared experiences. Um, And it does tend to the common ground here is white supremacy, because it seems like some people in the Latino community feel like if we're white adjacent, maybe we will not be subjected to the same uh, racism and prejudice. I want to show uh, a clip from uh, a great writer in The Atlantic who says your whiteness will always be relative. She's directing this in the Latino community. You can utter as much garbage as you want about black people. You can vote Republican. You can lead the Proud Boys. You will never achieve whiteness. The gift bestowed upon Italians and the Irish isn't happening for us. So you can discriminate against black people and Afro-Latinos all you want. It won't make you white. It just makes you a racist person of color, a brown Clayton Bigsby, a fool. I echo those sentiments. Curious your thoughts this morning. Well, I actually think that there is another layer to this. Some people within the Latino community do achieve whiteness. One, because they are white appearing. They favor more our European ancestors. And depending on their accent, their uh, educational level, whether they actually have a, a recognizable Hispanic surname, that all those things enable uh, a person to, I wouldn't call it passing, but seeming seemingly just and seamlessly being able to pass into whiteness uh well white anglo whiteness just as they have whiteness within latin america and the caribbean um so i guess what i would want to say is that despite this idea of all latinos being brown you know some browns are browner than others uh and some whites are whiter than others there are latinos who are we start off with last uh podcast article about the muslims who wanted to get rid of these teachers who are pushing transgender shit on the kids, comparing Muslims to Hitler. Lefties are trying to get Muslim parents fired for speaking up. Who's, who's the, 
racist? I, I, I'm confused. I'm so confused. I'm just going to leave this up. I don't know if I got this. Let me see if I got it. Hold on. I'm kind of fucked up on slides. No, I don't have it. I'm going to do it live. Going to do it live. Ah, fuck. I didn't have the picture. I'm not going to get the picture. From the New York Times. And we talked about this numerous times. You go back in the catalog. And if I got to jump off, I have a doctor's appointment by um, phone. I had a MRI that came back with some stuff in it. And I got a... Three blood tests that came back with stuff in it, which is still trying to wicker what the fuck's wrong with me. So, as the U.S. becomes less white, white supremacy could simply be replaced by or buffeted by a form of light supremacy in which fair-skinned people perpetuate a modified anti-blackness rather than eliminating it. And this is about a story I ignored about a Latinx getting caught doing some racist shit. So, Charles Blow, the super racist... Now we're going to that skin color. It's all about skin color. But I want to make sure we understand one thing. And one thing, and, and I, I just think this is, this is, this is fucking a lot. It's just fucking the best thing ever. And I didn't even add it. And I just paused. So I really suck. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I'm going to add it. We're going to do it live. Boom, boom. And then we're going to flip back. That's Katanji Brown Jackson. Now, remember, she's the first black POC woman, whatever the fuck, even though we don't define it, to be a Supreme Court justice. In the first eight arguments, well, just think about it. You go to a new job. Do you talk a lot? No. You're quiet. You learn. So down here is Clarence Thomas, who said like 90 words. This biatch said 11,000 words in the first eight arguments. Because women, specifically black women, are so oppressed. I mean, that's just proof. They're oppressed. It's fucking horrible. So that's our racist stuff. And then I I hate putting this picture up, but I'm going to do it. That's a boy. And as we go into our trans, this is some sick fucking shit. Hey, Blue, look at all these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies. They love each other so proudly. And they all go marching in the big parade. Now I know I can find love. I know I can still be a performer. I know that I can have a family. I want to be a mom one day. And I absolutely can. And that's why the narrative still has a long way to go because when I was grieving Boy Dylan, I didn't know those things were even accessible to me. And here's what I've learned so far. Six, seven, eight. Women are awesome, but can also be cruel. I'm doing my best and boys, they kind of drool. My hormones are wild and my boobs kind of sore. It's only day 200. We have so much more to experience together. We're just getting started. Thank you for being my friend. 
You're open-hearted. I don't feel so alone. No more shame and carefree. Being a girl is awesome. Would you agree? Woohoo! Woohoo! Love ya! Day three of being a girl, and I've already become a bimbo with the queen herself. We are drinking martinis at 2.55 on a Monday on Sunset Boulevard, and then we're going makeup shopping. We love it. Cheers. Chrissy? Yeah. The bimbos yeah. are bimboing. It's 100%. You need it. You literally need that. <laughs> this way. Yeah. Make me want to <laughs> Wait, this is cute! Oh yeah, that's right. Oh my god, this color on you! Look at my bonnet. Okay, giving Oz. Wizard of Oz. What's it? Um, um, what's the Alice in the One short <laughs> We shop. It's been an amazing day as a bimbo. I think it's a good fit for me. What do you think, ladies? Love ya! This normalization in that last video with that lady, it, man, whatever the fuck that was. That's child abuse. And now we have a VA Democrat who's literally trying to do a bill that will criminalize parents who don't affirm their child's gender identity. Virginia Democrat claimed Guzman, Virginia, didn't criminalize parents for not affirming child gender identity, despite Guzman clearly saying so on fucking camera. And we're going to play this live podcast. I've been working with a senator or no, a representative. See, I don't know. <laughs> In a small district that I'm not a resident of, and she's a former social worker and has her clinical degree and recognizes the abuse and the long-term harm caused by not affirming your kids. And so we were working on a child protection bill that would make it illegal to not affirm. After So she's trying to backpedal, pedal, but understand, this isn't new. This is all over the place. We've covered the cases where the judges have done it and the social workers have done it. Everybody's fucking done it. They just are garbage fucking humans and it's to the point that it's child abuse you are abusing a child you can't go back from god damn hormones i folks every time i picked up my wife's estrogen i got a lecture about it they didn't want me taking it because it had hard effects on me then we have another one right to sex and this one is Alexandra M. Hunt, 
Young men aren't having sex. Nearly a third of men under 30 have not had sex, and a higher percentage do not have as much sex as they'd like. Not exactly surprising, but this kind of statistic is a sign of a much deeper problem. Our society organized sex and sweeps it under the rug. The consequences are straightforward. There is more violence since platforms like Craigslist were banned for advertising sex. Serious violent crimes against all women, not just sex workers, increased. And men who don't have enough sex suffer. They are less likely to be part of the labor force, and we're getting into the stupid goddamn incel the me too movement we should have a right to have fucking sex you're an idiot you're you're just a fucking idiot and you know why you're an idiot it's called pornhub that's the problem when you can go jerk it and watch any kind of porn you want for free when I was a kid, if we wanted to jerk the gurk and not to make anybody vomit out there, you had to get lucky and get a porn mag or find them in the woods. And then you had to hide it somewhere so your mom wouldn't get caught. If you're like me with a whole bunch of brothers and sisters, there wasn't a lot of jerking time. Now, you got... Well, since it's okay to do it in front of kids, they just said, my pussy's so sweet, my pussy's whatever that fucking song was. You got pussy all over the place. You could search for fucking little things. and you're, I've searched for cat toys and got dildos. I mean, folks, there's a lot of sex out there. And once you start that jerk and you have people that like the kinky shit, well, you're not going to have that in a normal relationship. It desensitizes what sex is. That's why there's so many people with fucking porn addictions. You can't get that kind of porn. Your, your wife's not going to let you stick it up her ass. doesn't happen. But it's almost impossible to not see ass porn. And I don't even look for porn, but I get enough ass porn when I search for shit. It's there. There's a lot of ass porn. It's disgusting. But the point is... We're desensitized. We live in a digital world. These kids talk more to people online than they do in person. There's sex toys that work with the fucking guy. We've covered it on the show. Sex dolls, sex toys, all electronic. Folks, people aren't having sex because A, they don't want the relationship. B, they're digital. They'd rather fuck online because they're really fucked up because we made them fucked up. We locked them down for two years, couldn't see nobody, and what'd you do? You searched Pornhub. What was 11 billion hits? We covered it on the year end. It's disgusting, and that's why I cover it. Then when you add in that last video, this is inappropriate for me, a grown woman says. Disgusting, and the parents are sick. Why do you bring your kid to stuff like that? Why? What intrinsic value can you get of taking your kid to see a man bounce up and down and say, I got sweet pussy? He clearly don't because he's got a dick. But this is what they want. They're, they're taking the morals of the country. That's why I play the Ben Shapiro stuff a lot. The morals of the country. And they're ruining them. You have no religion, you have no respect, you don't 
talk to people, you live in the digital world. Half of these guys wouldn't know how to fuck. They've probably never been laid because they don't know how to talk to a woman and treat a woman nice. They, this whole incel thing, look at you liberals. You created it. Making our boys effeminate, getting everybody trophies, nothing's challenging. The wokeification, which takes us to a short military corner. Army Times keeps sending me um, magazines. I don't pay for it. I don't know why they keep sending it. But the cover story was, Is the military too woke to recruit? How political perceptions may be stifling the willingness to serve. And surprisingly in this article, which I read, but I won't read to you, they're admitting it. And it's showing in what we're doing. Less screaming, more weightlifting. The Army is reinventing basic training for Gen Z because they're a bunch of pussies who do everything online and they're not physically fit. So most of them can't even get in. So we're redesigning. Don't hurt their feelings. Get them in shape. Doing pre-courses. They need to just go back to delayed entry. Your junior summer between the junior and senior year in high school, you go to basic. Then you have mandatory quarterly PT test, and then you go to AIT after you graduate. I think it's a smarter way to get them in a different mindset. I really do. Army 2030, disperse or die network and live. Long-range precision strikes are now so deadly and even rear area support units must spread out and take cover to survive, which puts unprecedented strain on command and control networks. They kind of went into the weeds on this about computers and bullshit, but it is true. Everybody's got a drone now. So this next war, we're not going to have the air superiority we usually have because even China's got shit now. They copied ours, but they got it. As I said last podcast, we're not going to have a helicopter. We are now. In a matter of months, they're either going to pick between the 280 or the Raider. And we'll know what the new helicopter is going to be. The Army finally replacing the Bradley fighting vehicle? Hmm. For decades, it has been the epitome of military vehicles for infantry. And now they have two different ones. It's a OMFV. And we're going to look at it. 
Pretty fucking badass, if you ask me. That's, um, you know, you're noticing everything's getting a little smaller. It's easier to move because we did go to the C-17 and, hmm, pretty cool, I think. This is also a disturbing thing. Temporary promotion for enlisted soldiers continuing into fiscal year 2023. They're so short on personnel, they're just going to fucking promote them and you have to wait till you make the list. And to do that, Army boosting promotion points for expert badges and cutting those for fitness test performance because everybody's so fucking out of shape. And I think that is a really bad, bad idea for the enlisted corps. Listen, by the time I, 97, so I'd been in 12 years, I hurt my knee and I started slowing down. My physical fitness wasn't as good as it could be. My push-ups and sit-ups were not max. I would end up 270, 280. Um, all the way to the end of my career, I really slowed down. I started having a lot of physical ailments and I wasn't going to the doctor. My back was shot. My shoulders were shot and my left knee is still garbage to this day. I don't have a meniscus. It's pretty much gone, but I ain't getting the operation because I watched my wife, but long story short, I was slowing down, but that push for me to be as physically fit as I possibly could and don't fall out of the runs made me run on the weekends. Every weekend, I, I never took a day off. I was doing something. Later on, I got a treadmill. So I'd run on a treadmill. And that made me stay in shape. I think if you stop making you know, physical fitness, especially for combat arms, would be the number one thing. But this also could be my ignorance and maybe the new PT test. It's you know less of an indicator because you're doing a bunch of weird-ass shit. Army test will show how many shots its long-range cannon can take. And this is the... The extended range cannon artillery system. I don't even know what the fuck it looks like. Oh, it's a it's a um, paladin, just a bigger one. Huh, that's pretty good. Did some weird shit. Massive energy beam pointed at Earth appears to break the laws of physics and science, and it's moving uh, like six times the speed of light. That's pretty scary. That's my space stuff. Inside a U.S. facility were 199 legally dead human and almost 100 pence are cryogenically frozen. Yeah, that's an article. I, I didn't. I didn't make that stuff up. I. I, I, I didn't. Hmm. And then a sixth story you can find in the New York Post. I don't even want to read it because it's so disgusting. UK nurse Lucy Letby wrote evil notes after allegedly killing baby, and she has killed seven babies and tried to kill ten others because she's a sick, sick bitch. Where are we at on time today? Can I get a lighter fare in? Nope, can't get a lighter fare. So we're just going to go into This is America, and I'm going to change the script instead of the worst soundbite. It's the best one. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they 
of pushing fake liberal agenda stories. And this is America. In it's sheer media partisanship. There's no other way to put it. Some anchors and pundits are rushing to defend John Fetterman, who unfortunately suffered a stroke as he was winning the Democratic Senate nomination in Pennsylvania. And they're taking aim at an NBC reporter who is just doing her job, and a very good job at that. Fetterman, who is running against Dr. Oz, has journalists provide him with closed captioning on a monitor so he can more easily process their questions. NBC's Dasha Burns did just that in Fetterman's first in-person TV sit-down. And there were moments when he was struggling. I always thought I was pretty empathetic, uh, uh, emphatic. Uh, I think I was very, excuse me, empathetic. Uh, you know, that's an example of the stroke, empathetic. I, I always thought I was very empathetic uh, before having a stroke. But now after having that stroke, I really understand, you know, much more kind of the challenges that Americans have day in and day out. What you saw and heard there, the auditory processing challenges, the speech challenges. The NBC correspondent also shared this observation with her viewers. We did find that in small talk before the interview, without captioning, it seemed it was difficult for Fetterman to understand our conversation. This prompted a fierce backlash. Podcaster Kara Swisher, who had a stroke a decade ago, called Burns's account just nonsense. Maybe this reporter was just bad at small talk. New York Magazine's Rebecca Traster, author of a cover story on Fetterman, said his comprehension is not at all impaired. He understands everything. Burns didn't suggest otherwise, but there have been plenty of stories and segments ripping her for her remarks. NBC and Dasha Burns were transparent with the audience, but that was rejected by some in this business who just want John Fetterman to win that Senate seat. It's unbelievable. Back in the day, that was journalism. But now, if you make a Democrat look bad, you done fucked up. You just done fucked up. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Shows your family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com to find links to all our shows. 633. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. We will shoot for our next show being uh, 23 October, year of our Lord, 2022. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care.